0: All right, guys. Hey, what is going on? Welcome back to another Antler and Feather Co. podcast, the podcast for new and adult onset hunters. My name is Vince. I'm going to be your host. And this is a show where I, a newer, less experienced hunter, like to bring on guys who know a whole heck of a lot more about hunting um, or really anything that has to do with the hunting world that we're all in. Um, And I bring guys on who know a lot more than I do. And as I'm asking them questions and learning the new things that I want to learn, I just pass them right along to you guys via this show. So this week, I'm really excited for our guest. Um, if you guys have been following along with me, you know that um, I have CTS photography going on. That's kind of my my newest passion is photography. Um, actually, I like it a whole heck of a lot more than all the rest of the stuff I'm doing. So I'm really excited to have this week's guest on. He is, let's just say, a pretty pretty darn good photographer um, in the outdoor space. Uh, he has made his way there. So I'm really excited to talk to him about photography, but he's also a huge conservationist. Um, very, very passionate about conserving our public lands. Um, he is him and his brother are the owners of public land Tees. Um, he is the owner of an awesome bus an awesome four by four van. Uh, let's see, what else is he? He's a hunter too. I mean, just the top, put the cherry on top. All right, guys, well, help me welcome to the show, Sam Soholt. Sam, how are you doing today, man? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Like we were talking off, uh, off camera, I am really new into photography. I'm really passionate. And so right now, talking to a guy like you, it's almost like, oh, this is, this is the greatest. Because in my opinion, especially in the outdoor world, um, you're one of the best photographers out there. And that's not just to like kiss your butt because you're on the show, but you really are. You you do amazing work, but it doesn't just stop there. Like you, all the stuff that you do with conservation, which we'll get into later, is just awesome. It's great for the hunting community. It's great for guys like me who are newer, who are like, well, I don't, I like the idea of conservation, but I don't really practically know what that means for me. Mm-hmm. What can I do? And you you offer millions of different ways that you can get active um in conservation for our public lands for for all of our game species things like that um and then on top of all that you got a pretty sweet bus and a pretty cool van so (laughs) it's it's uh i got a lot of questions for you like i said i'm gonna try to try to not be super selfish and just ask you photography we'll get into hunting and conservation and all that other stuff as well but yeah thanks a lot for coming on um usually i start my shows off with a quick prayer and then we will hop right into what I got for you. Sounds Sound good. Sound good. Yeah. All right, man. Lord Jesus, I thank you for just another opportunity to to record a podcast. I thank you for um, just as as much as we like to sit back and think that you know you're in control of everything, but you're you don't really care about a podcast. You don't really care about um, the hobbies that we have, the things that we do. Um, but really you do. I mean, you have, you have blessed me with, with just the, um, desire to do this show, um, the desire to help other new hunters, the desire to chase and keep working at something that can be pretty frustrating sometimes. Um, and you've also provided just great guest after great guest. Um, and you know, with that, I thank you for Sam. I thank you for his life and all the things that you've, uh, worked out in his life to get him where he's at. Um, obviously he, he, he has worked his butt off to get there and um you know it they're they're all great gifts from you. I think a lot of times you put things in front of us and you don't necessarily give them to this to us. You make us work for them. But I, I thank you for everything that you've done in his life and um I thank you for his time coming on here. Um I know we're all living very busy lives so just the fact that he's willing to spend an hour or so with me to talk about all this awesome stuff that that you have created. Um, I'm just very thankful for that. And, of course, I thank you for your son. I thank you that he came down and he died on the cross and died the death that we deserve. Um, he paid a price we could have never paid. And because of that, we get to enjoy your creation. So we thank you for Jesus, and we ask that you would be over this conversation, um, as you always are. And we ask all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I don't even know where to start. I wanted to I wanted to kick right off into either talking about the sweet van or photography, but I think before we get there, I want to kind of get an idea of, I always like to know how people or who people were before they were the people that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, we There's a lot of big social media, um, I don't want to call it social media, There's there's the big names in the industry that we all know and love and follow. I like to know how they became that person. Um, so kind of before we get into it, uh, where did the, basically where did your outdoors journey start? Where, where did you grow up? How did you get into, um, just enjoying being outdoors and I assume hunting and then transitioning into starting doing photography, um, for the outdoor space? How did that all start for you?
1: Uh, basically as far back as I can remember, um, grew up in a family that spent a lot of time in the outdoors you know had a dad that was passionate about hunting Um, and when we weren't hunting we were doing something outside you know it was fishing or whatever cruising around doing stuff in the woods and then you know if it wasn't that it was sports but it was you know grew up in the Dakotas was born in South Dakota grew up in Sioux Falls South Dakota and then, uh, chose college based on proximity to good waterfowl hunting. So I went to North Dakota state (laughs) and so, uh, yeah. And then, uh, I'm actually currently a North Dakota resident. Um, did a little bit of bouncing around there for a while. Um, but yeah, basically my journey like has been from the day I was born, uh, has been somewhat revolving around, you know, the outdoors. And even when I wasn't, in the outdoors doing what I wanted to do, like I was thinking about it. It was it was mm-hmm. always waiting for Friday to head to the, you know, head to the lake or always waiting for Friday that we're going to go duck hunting, you know, in some little slough that we had hunted the weekend before. I mean, or whatever it was, it was it was always waiting to get back to it. So, um, yeah, my journey into it was has been forever. But kind of transitioned, you know, growing up, I was always interested in the film side of things, you know, having a little handy cam, uh, you know, I had a little mm-hmm. cannon whatever tape camera and yeah, uh, we had a uh it was like high eight tapes or something like that they were you know it was like before that and then a whole over the shoulder vhs one before that and um but a lot of that was you know filming like wakeboarding and s- snowboarding and r- whatever rollerblading videos with my buddies you know in the neighborhood um you know and recorded a few hunts but it wasn't really you know do- didn't dive into it all that much but I always had that had that interest, in, and and uh, my parents made a deal with us when we were uh, pretty young, actually, that if we didn't drink until we were twenty one years old, we could pick out a shotgun.
0: And so <laughs> that's, that's I, pretty,
1: yeah, pretty good,
0: pretty smart on their part. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it was, <laughs> uh, yeah. So my older brother um, didn't drink till he was twenty one. Got a Beretta AL three ninety one Technis edition with the beautiful stock and the whole thing. Yeah, um, pretty sweet auto loader. So you know, I watched him kind of go through that journey of not drinking until legal age. And so I was like, well, I, you know, obviously he did it. So now I can't, you know, I can't screw yeah. that up. So, um, but I didn't, you know, I had my old trusty Browning BPS with 30 inch barrel. So I didn't really need a shotgun when I turned 21. And so I'd asked my dad if we could split, you know, for around the same cost that he spent on that shotgun. Um, my, I would asked for a professional video camera, but that was like double the cost of of what my brother's gun was. So I, (laughs) uh, I split it with him. So I saved quarters and change and extra dollars, you know, that I wasn't spending on, you know, food at whatever in in college I saved up. And we split a, uh, Canon XHA1S, which I promptly put on the shelf in my college room because I had no idea how to run it (laughs) and and still, and still wasn't like, you know, passionate enough about it to like really figure it out on my own. Um, but it continued to hunt and, My first year of archery hunting, uh, was in 2010. My brother had talked me into, um, I'd gone out and hung out with him on a elk hunt and went home and bought a bow and, uh, started shooting all summer and I ended up killing two deer within like 10 days that first fall. And so I was all jacked up, you know, I was, you know, watching hunting shows and, you know, was still, still had this like idea in the back of my mind that I like wanted to work for a hunting show or have a hunting show or whatever, and uh, another friend of mine had sent me an episode of Midwest Whitetail, which at the time was only like two years old. You know, I think their first season was 08 or 09. And so, you know, fall of 2010, I emailed the show and, you know, was like, hey, you know, I wonder if you ever need interns for whatever. And Bill emailed me back a couple hours later. And I went down over Christmas break that year and, Met up with him at the subway and uh, did an interview at the office, and then uh, yeah, got an internship with Midwest Whitetail. So it was, you know, I I never really I went you know I got undergrad and then went on to get my master's because I was in track and so I had uh, in a fifth year of eligibility for track and field and I was like, well, I might as well get a master's while I'm here. Um, but when I was finishing up my master's, I took an internship with Midwest Whitetail, and then after that, I just kind of snowballed it into more and more video and photography gigs. And, um, I never had a real job, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Did you, so did you in college? Was that, what did you major in? What are your degrees in? Was it videography and photography type stuff? No, definitely not.
1: So I got a, uh, an undergrad and master's in business administration. Um, yeah. Yep. So went the business route. My mom wanted me to go to school to be an engineer and, uh, I was actually gonna, um, I had the option to switch my major when I was going in to be, uh, I think I was I, remember, I was going to do industrial engineering. And mm-hmm. um, when I talked to enrollment, they were like, well, you have more scholarship dollars if you stay in the school of business. Uh, you could do your mm-hmm. generals for a year or two years, you know, and still take some of the classes you need for the engineering side. And then if you decide to switch, you can switch. So I had, you know, I took the, obviously going to take the extra scholarship dollars if it didn't make a difference at yeah. the beginning. And then I just never switched. I just stayed in the, stayed in the line of business and, and, uh, yeah, got a, got a master's.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, that, that's good. Like it's, I'm sure it's helped you kind of in the background of the stuff that you do. with like publicly and tees and all that other stuff. Cause I mean, I, I don't know anything about any of that stuff. And I'm, you know, you first start all that out and you're like looking at getting an LLC and then trying to set up like, okay, how do you run a business? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, which is probably why I'm not super successful <laughs> with it.
1: But <laughs> You know, I think, I think the biggest thing that I learned through all of it was kind of the structure of a business. So putting together an actual business plan, whether you look at it ever again or not, when you can sit down and kind of write out like what your mission statement is, what your plan of attack is going forward, what you're thinking as far as like marketing, whether it be for yourself or for the business or, you mm. know, and having kind of the, at least a framework of, of what you're trying to do. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. They get all these ideas in their head and they never really put it on paper. They never put it yeah. into a structure where you can actually follow something. Um, yeah. you know, and then above and beyond that, what grad school really taught me was jumping through hoops. Uh, cause that's all it felt like. It felt like it was just this massive i mean it was it was a pain in the ass I'll, anybody who's yeah. done grad school can attest to <laughs> that it's a, it's a giant pain uh but i think it taught me that like as long as you just you continue to move forward even if there's parts of it that suck it gets better on the other side so you just got to go through check all those boxes get all the stuff yeah. done that needs to be done on the on the in the background and all the things that people don't see so that you can go do all of the things that people actually see
0: yeah Yeah. I I watched my wife. She's, I think one class or something away from finishing her master's. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. It's because she's taken a lot of classes where it seems like she's already learned all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they make you go do a bunch of random crap that nobody has time for to do. And it doesn't seem like it even applies to what you're studying, but. Damn it, at the end of it, you're gonna get this sheet of paper. Yeah. This that that says... whole wax on, wax off thing. Man, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make sense yeah. in the
1: moment. But yeah. Yeah. You can go you can think back on that and be like, well, if I can get through that, I can get through anything.
0: Yeah, and that's one common thing. Cause I I think, you know, as time has gone on and it, you know, all of the the different opinions on the education system and stuff like currently mm-hmm. um the one the one underlying thing that I hear from people who You know, I, I know a lot of people who get degrees in X and they get a job in Y and they never use the degree that they went to school for, Yep. but they always say the same thing. It taught me how to grind and work even when I didn't want to. Um, and I mean, that is, that is definitely something that, you know, the discipline to you want to go party, you're in college, you want to do this and that, this stuff that you're studying sucks and it's not fun, but it makes you do it anyway. Yep. Um, so, yeah, and that, you know, stuff like that type, those traits carry over into every other part of your life. So, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the the, the degree is the degree, but the other things you're learning underneath it that you can apply universally are really, you know, really where you went out. But, yep. so you got on with Midwest Whitetail. Now, did you have more of an interest? When did you, I guess, when did you really like pick up a camera for photography or, have you always been more interested in the videography side of it?
1: Yeah. So growing up, I always wanted to do the video thing. Um, That was always, you know, what piqued my interest the most. And when I started working for Midwest Whitetail, it was right at the time when DSLRs started to film, uh, like actual have like video capability. You know, it's kind of like that crossover point where, okay, you could get full HD video out of a, you know, pretty inexpensive Canon DSLR. Mm -hmm. And so when we were dealing with, you know, guys sending pro staff video in, we still, you know, any of them that had a DSLR, we were trying to encourage them to use that for cutaways, for interviews, you know, all the stuff that wasn't the kill shot, because it just gave that depth of field The gate, you know, it gave you this different look than a standard video camera. And, and while we were doing that, obviously like, okay, well, we need to snap photos for if it's a social post or whatever it was at the time, like a thumbnail for the video. Um, right you know, we started to snap photos with these DSLRs and, you know, I kind of started to learn that a little bit. And then after my time at Midwest Whitetail, I actually, let's see how it went. I traded my, I would bought a bow, uh, cause the show was sponsored by Hoyt. So I had bought a Hoyt Rampage XT, gone down there, hunted with it. I moved to Colorado to work in my brother's archery shop and backcountry hunting store. And I traded the gun for, or traded the bow for a gun. And then we sold, he had a little gun shop, so we sold the gun and then use that money to buy a Canon 7D. <laughs> and so and so, <laughs> and so I was uh, using that and the Canon XHA1S that I had, it was both of those to film and shoot photos, and, and uh, started shooting a lot more photos that fall, in 2012, I guess it would have been. And then um, it just kind of like, as I continued to shoot photos, I started to get more interested in that, and um, I think... The putting the puzzle pieces together, like I would see somebody's photo, you know, in the field or whatever, or some, you know, a star shot or whatever, you know, astrophotography or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. And I would try to figure out, like, how did they shoot that photo? You know, so I spent countless hours on YouTube trying to like research different photography techniques and, you know, shutter drag and doing all these different things. And, you know, it'd be like it would come to me at the most random time. Like I'd be. Fletching arrows in the back or whatever, and be like, "Oh, that's how they got that shot." Like I, you know, I'd like just it was just (laughs) constantly working through in my brain. And so as as that like you know kind of skill developed, I started to fall in love with the photography photography side more uh, because I thought that challenge of trying to like tell a story with a single image was such a cool like quest, I guess if you will. Right. Um, you know, and then I continued to film. I moved from Colorado. I got a job as a sales rep. I moved to Montana. Um, and I was working as on my sales rep job, I was sitting in a coffee shop and a guy was on the phone talking about video production. And after he got off the phone, I was like, Hey man, you know, I just overheard you talking about video. Like, what are you up to? And he's like, Oh, I'm doing a, uh, video for museum of the Rockies. But my main gig is a producer of a hunting show. And I was like, Oh, oh cool. funny. You, <laughs> funny. You mentioned that because yeah. I just got done, <laughs> you know, like working for a hunting show. I was like, if you ever need to, you know, we exchange information. Cause I was actually trying to sell a camera at the time that, uh, that Canon video camera. Cause I could see mm-hmm. that the tape camera and everything, it was going to go, you know, it was going to the wayside. So, so I, it, we exchanged info, um, I sold my camera, I sent him a message was like, Hey, thanks for the tip. Cause I had posted it in the, in the, at the film school on Montana state's campus. And somebody bought it from me. And, uh, he was like, Hey, uh, thanks for reaching out. Like we're actually doing a bear hunt in Alaska. Like we need a second shooter. Have you ever run the Sony ex one? And I had at Midwest white So, I was like, yeah, for sure. And, uh, so whatever, three weeks later I was up in Alaska (laughs) filming a bear hunt, which then led to filming for the coast guard, uh, for coast guard, Alaska show for the weather channel. And then that led to filming for a bear hunting show for the history channel called the hunt. So I lived on Kodiak for like five months. Um, yeah. So it was just like, and then through that, I just kept shooting more and more photos and really developed kind of not my style yet, but like just an eye for it. And, uh, one of the people that I was filming saw that and they hired me for my first uh, professional photo shoot.
0: Good deal. So I'm kind of curious when you start bringing it up, what is the, cause like I said, anybody who knows you, obviously we associate you with f- hunting and wildlife. Mm-hmm. What is, what is kind of the most like furthest away from that, that you've worked on in terms of shooting for a show? Like you had mentioned the coast guard or is that kind of the weirdest thing? Have you always been pretty dialed into the outdoor space or have you done some other things as you've been coming up? Like, you know, did a produced a flower show one you know what I mean? <laughs> like what's kind of the stuff that you cut your teeth on you know, outside I sh- of that? I
1: shot about four houses of real estate photography when I was getting into it in Colorado. And and then probably the Coast Guard show is probably like the furthest away from hunting that I've ever yeah. filmed, you know, film in search and rescues for the Coast Guard. So it really has nothing to do with that outdoor space. Right. Um, but, uh, which, was, which was great. You know, I learned a ton about, like, actually producing a docu-series and figuring, you know, like how they actually put that together and how much footage you need to, like, tell the story of what, you know, they're trying to portray. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, other than that, it's been always just pretty focused on that, niche market of the, of the hunting industry.
0: And do you, <clears throat> did you ever have any like really, uh, really big mentors in that? Cause it, how do you, like, how do you even begin to learn? Like if you were to tell me, you know, go, we're going to have an archery event. I want you to just take pictures. That's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like, okay, I'm an archer. I hunt. You kind of have an idea of what people would like to see and how you can compose shots and stuff like that. But when you cut over into, like, the video side of things, how where did you learn how to, like, put all that together? Because I'm i not real big at, like, the most video that I really do is either just quick Instagram things or, like, this podcast, which is very, I'm talking, you're talking, yep. I'm talking. But when you get into, like, having to do B-roll and having to, you know, just put together a show, where did you learn to do all that?
1: That was definitely Midwest Whitetail. So... um you know, I had to produce a show every single week, uh, for the Michigan series and then helped produce the Minnesota series. So, you know, throughout the course of the fall, you're looking at, I think it was like 27 or 28 episodes total, um, mm-hmm. the, you know, and so you start to, you know, and the guys that I really learned from as far as like making sure you had enough footage was like guys like Aaron Warbritton and, uh, and mm-hmm. really Greg Clements, um, who now, you know, they're both the hunting public at this point, but. Yep. But Greg was probably the best as far as like someone to learn from uh, for like building a story because that was his craft. You know, like he's always been the guy that like really like dove into being like a student of the craft, like as far as like video and like telling a story and like getting different angles and shooting B-roll and doing all the things that you need to be able to fill in so like people can feel like they're there. Uh, Yeah, so I learned that whole story side of things uh, from Midwest Whitetail and then just integrated that into everything I've done since.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's, that is, you had mentioned, like, how do you know you're getting enough footage? And and that's something that I, I think that's part of the reason why I'm really, I've gravitated. It's great that my camera can do 4K video, Mm -hmm. but it's like I'm almost intimidated to try to put together some sort of video. At least, like you were saying, with a picture, I can take time I can try to figure out how to tell that story with one shot and I feel more natural with that. But yeah, I always, I go out hunting. I, I, I always joke with people. I'm like I'm the worst content creator ever because (laughs) I go hunting and like I'm focused on hunting and I come back and I have like a video, half of a video of where I started like saying what I was doing and then didn't even finish it. And I'm like, (laughs) I got nothing to show anybody. And then (laughs) you've got three
1: or four clips like from like, Here's yeah. a leaf blown in the wind, and here's a... Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, the whole 17-second video is all, like, bad B-roll that's not even in focus.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, so
0: I'm curious. Yeah. Do you, oh, go ahead. I was ahead, just going to say it
1: definitely takes a different level of patience. Um, if you think you have patience um, just as a hunter, like, add a camera into it and and try to, like, capture what you're doing in the moment but still be focused yeah. on, like, completing the task that you're there to do. It's yeah. uh yeah. I have a hard time Very difficult. I have a hard time getting into that <laughs> uh even though I've, I mean I've been doing it for a long time and it's still like oh, son of a I got to set up the tripod or you know like yeah, re- yeah. go back and walk this again or do this and you know um yeah it takes just takes time.
0: Have you ever like monumentally screwed up a hunt or anything by like you had to go back and reshoot something or you know, you you forgot to set something up properly to get whatever, whatever your shot is. Have you ever screwed anything up, like, trying to get it set up?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. Like, have <laughs> like have certainly, I've double punched a few times, um, you know, so I don't get the kill shot on film or whatever. Hasn't happened on, so it, it's never happened to me, like, while I'm on a shoot getting paid for a shoot. Um, which is lucky, you know, I've done it while you're still getting paid to shoot. (laughs) Right. You know, so like there's a, there's been times that where I've hunted with my brother, where we've tried to film stuff and, and do some things and, and, uh, him and I have fairly different hunting styles. And so like, sometimes like just in the, you know, in the moment, like we just, I do something different than he's going to do or whatever. And I've, I've double punched a couple of times on, on stuff like that. And I've, you know, I I don't think I've ever, I can't say that I've ever like monumentally screwed up, a. a shot there was one time that i was close to on a i was filming a mountain lion hunt in british columbia and the dog they let the dogs loose and it was whatever mile or mile and a half in there or whatever and so you know you're trudging through the snow and it's cold and i'm sweating and whatever and and uh i'd gotten there had gotten snow like there was a record button on top of the handle Mm -hmm. and the snow and ice had built up around the record button and so I was recording this cat in the tree and it's right before the guy is about to shoot. And then I just like, I'm okay. Record, but the cord is on the cats in the tree. Framing's good. Everything's good. And then I just watched the record stop. And so then, you know, <laughs> like, you know, shit. so I thought like, you know, had to like hammer on the record button again and push it, like jam it through the ice to get it to record again. Oh, and like he <laughs> shot either right before it ended or right after, I, I can't remember which way it was, but I would, like, there was probably like three quarters of a second that I didn't get on film of like the most critical part of that whole thing. (laughs) And thankfully there was another shooter there. So like they were able to like cut, you know, to the other shooters camera. Like, so, but like, Oh man, that was stressful. You know, like just having that happen in the moment.
0: Now do they typically, when you guys go out for things like that, do you typically work with other, like how many guys are shooting at one time? Cause that's, Maybe that's one of the reasons why it seems so hard to put together decent content when you're by yourself, because you always look at like the, you know, really highly produced things where it's, you cut from this angle and then it's this angle. It's like, how the hell did they do that? Yeah,
1: it's definitely, so a lot of time, not a lot, but like I've done a fair bit with two shooters. I don't think I've ever been on any shoots with more than that. Um, But it, you know, once you kind of get into the flow with having a second shooter, like you know, between the two of you you can cover it all pretty well. And then it just it just adds so much to the story being able to, you know, basically cover that hundred and eighty degrees um and make sure that they can cut back and forth between, you know, if there's whatever better background or better audio yeah. or whatever um between the two.
0: So this is gonna be my last my last photography question. Then I'll start I'll I'll talk about conservation, which with everyone who's listening to this point's like, Jesus Christ, get to it. <laughs> What, uh, do you have any other styles of photography that you enjoy doing? Um, like for instance, my, I like to do like when we were at total archery challenge, I like to capture those moments of, you know, when someone's got their bow drawn about to shoot, but I also really enjoy macro photography. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a true macro lens yet, so it's kind of with the lens that I have, I get about as close as I can, but like, that's something I really enjoy as well do you have anything else like i've noticed you take you seem to take a lot of like really cool shots of the sky and things like that um what else are you interested in terms of photography
1: yeah i would say i'm a big fan of like landscape stuff um i think it allows you to set the scene like especially with social media stuff now if you can kind of take that photo that like tells like the broad space of like the type of country you're in and then dive in and be, you know, and then like, you know, if it's a, say it's a series of story posts, you know, if you can have one where it's like this cool wide angle shot of mountains or like a long logging road or whatever it is, people can kind of like see that and like, okay, I understand the country that he's spending time in. And then Mm -hmm. following that up, you start to dive in and get all these textures, you know, so you're like shooting tighter shots of everything that's happening and. I think people see that first image and they're like, "Oh, I know where all of this is happening," and yeah. I kind of put all that together. So yeah, I like, I really like shooting landscapes, and you know, last fall started getting more into like the the stacked focus photography with landscapes, and so you have basically you know you start and you stack a series of whatever seven to fifteen images of changing the focus out and so like if anybody looks at the photo like that rock in the very foreground is in focus as well as the clouds like on the landscape and that turns out pretty cool it kind of gives this very surreal look uh to the landscape but it's cool
0: now is that i assume that that's much more in my minimal understanding of photography um you would close your aperture or the more you this is where i get confused The more you close your aperture, the higher you go in the number, that's going to kind of bring everything more into focus versus like having my 55 all the way down to 1.8. Right. Um, Is that, does it give it a much more, even a different feel than shooting like
1: a real tight aperture? So if you, yeah, you've said it exactly right. So if you're shooting a, you know, if it's a F 1.8 to F 22, you know, if you shoot an Mm F 22, obviously a lot more of the scene is in focus. Um, but this takes it to the next level where you would shoot wide open. So you'd shoot at one eight. Um, I do mm-hmm. a lot at one four, like, cause it, I can stack a whole bunch of photos, but, um, basically you just incrementally just move it out. So it'd be like, you know, you have one inch of the frame. Yeah. in Focus every time you move it. And then it blends all those together and it, it creates, um, it's like almost a full focus depth of field look. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a strange way to put it. Um, I, I started following a landscape photographer guy and he was doing a bunch of stuff in the, in the Colorado Rockies, uh, last fall of like all the Aspen leaves and different stuff. Yeah. And so you'd have like one Aspen leaf, like on a log in focus in front of you. And then like, like that would grab your attention. Then you like, as you look at it, you're like, Oh, that, you know, that two track road that's full of Aspen leaves is also in focus. And then that Project, that tree perfectly frames that mountain that's also in focus and so that's it's, cool. yeah it's uh it gives it a very it gives it like almost looks like a painting um yeah kind of feel to it
0: that's pretty neat i'm gonna have to mess around with that yeah and it's really yeah, cool can...
1: for doing product stuff too because uh if you're shooting like let's say you have like a handgun laid out on a table or whatever um and you still like you want uh, the whole gun to be in focus, but like you still want, you know, other parts of it to be blurred out. You can kind of use that stack and get the whole gun in focus. And so that grabs your eye and then have the rest be blurred out.
0: That's pretty cool. Yep. Um, I lied. I do have one more question. This is what my buddy, I, I was talking to my buddy before the show. I'm like, you have any questions? Cause he just, he's kind of just getting into it as well. Sure. His, his question was for a newer person, what is the number one lens that you recommend for someone beyond the kit lens that comes with the camera? Uh, what is the best all-encompassing lens that you should get next?
1: All-encompassing. Uh, you know. Now, I know
0: that's <laughs> – dep- I'm sure it definitely depends on what you plan to shoot. Right,
1: yeah, but, um, and that's the main thing. Um, but I would say, you know, like everyone's second lens typically beyond the kit lens is the nifty-fifty uh yeah so, that was my- <laughs> yeah so you get a you get an inexpensive 50 millimeter um with a pretty fast you know aperture f 1.8 or whatever and it yep. doesn't cost you an arm and a leg but you can do a lot of cool photos uh with that i would say the other the other one if you can get it for pretty inexpensive um is a wide angle um and kind of change up that look and be able to tell more of that story and you know like way more like kind of skew out the the frame if you will um, yeah. but you can do, there's a lot of like third party lenses. You don't have to go with a Sony or a Canon lens or whatever you're shooting on. Um, and I've, I've shot a lot with, uh, a Rokinon. It was a full manual. So like there was no autofocus. You had to adjust focus mm. and aperture on the lens itself. Uh, yeah. but it was like 290 bucks or something like that and i've had more of those photos like published in magazines with that cheap (laughs) lens than i have with a three thousand dollar you know 70 to 200. Um, right so it's it's uh yeah i would say either you know a a nifty 50 for 99 bucks or you know go with uh like a 14 millimeter or something in that range
0: all right guys let's take a quick break to go through the friends of the show first and foremost we have more innovations more innovations is an awesome 3d printing company Um, they're making equipment that goes on your bow press little caddies things like that To keep track of all of your tools and your thread and your parts So you're not losing those they have wall mount quivers like I got right behind me over here So you can keep your arrows in the wall, whether it's in the garage or in your shooting shed, whatever it may be Um, and then they also have this is one of my favorite things I always talk about that grenade pen holder um, and the five arrow pocket quiver. He's just got a lot of really cool 3d printed things that are really great tools for us as archers to have. Check out moreinnovations.com. use code all caps, A F C O 10 that will get you 10% off over at more innovations. Secondly, we got Adam's precision archery. Um, They are basically just killing it. Uh, They came out today with a, it's like a half tone comic book feel wrap. Um, that they did on a build and it is just awesome. So if you're in the market for a new set of arrows, check out Adams, precision, Archery.com. If you use code all caps, afco 10, that's going to save you 10% off on your arrow build. Um, let him know if you want to do the fanny pack, you can do that as well. But that comic book wrap they put out, that's pretty sweet too. So check it out at Adams, Thirdly buzzard roost saddles. Uh, it is the most adjustable, most comfortable saddle that your butt will ever sit in. Get yourself one now, whether you're new to saddle hunting, you want to try one out, or you've been saddle hunting for a while and you're just not quite happy with yours. Buzzard Roost will be the most comfortable saddle that you sit in. You can sit in it from an hour to eight hours, doesn't matter. You, any adjustment you need to make, you can make it and you're back in the game. Go to buzzardroostsaddles.com and use code AAFP10 for 10% off your saddle over at buzzardroostsaddles.com. Our Grounds Coffee Co., still the official coffee of the AFCO podcast, and they are back at it, guys. The roaster's in. Um, Ed is gearing up to start putting coffee back out to the masses. I'm super excited for that. So make sure you guys keep an eye out when that coffee starts coming back out. Until then, continue to help him out. Buy merch. Go to the website. Help him out however you can. If you want to use code ALL CAPS AFCO, that's going to save you 15% at OurGroundsCoffeeCo.com. Quick camo, Q-U-I-K, camo. They uh, I use their stuff during turkey season, so if you are looking for a leafy suit, um, they have hats with masks that are already built into them that I really liked during turkey season. Um, they've also got really great gloves, great quality gloves. Um, you can get fingerless. You can get touchscreen gloves. I bought the touchscreen, ended up cutting the fingers off, but... <laughs> Either way, their quality is great. Um, It's just a great, great equipment to have in your toolbox for when you're out in the woods. So check out quickcamo.com If you use code all caps, AFCO10, that'll get you 10% off at quick camo. And finally, Pursuit Energy. Guys, Pursuit Energy is the number one hunting branded energy drink. It tastes great. It gives you the energy you need. My favorite is personally the Zero Orange. Um, I'm just a big orange fan. Um, But whether you like the zero stuff, zero sugar, or if you like stuff with the sugar, either way, they got you covered. They have a bunch of really great flavors. Um, My second favorite is grape. But go on the website. Go to PursuitEnergy.com. You can either buy them in four or eight packs, I believe, or you can sign up for the subscription so that it just gets sent to your door, whatever time frame you choose. And then you don't even got to worry about ordering it every month. So check out PursuitEnergy.com. Get yourself hooked up with Pursuit. And fuel your pursuit. So, guys, that is that is it for the friends of the show. Let's hop back into the conversation with Sam Soholt. Good deal. Yep. All right, now let's get into something else that you're very passionate about, um, conservation. Mm-hmm. So, I've got plenty of questions about that. I'm curious, when did you first start feeling like this was something that you really wanted to focus on? Obviously, you're very, very passionate. Um, I mean, that it's almost in terms of like your, what I see on social media from you, that's just as big of a deal of what you do than, than your career as a photographer and videographer. When did that passion start and why?
1: Yeah. So, uh, that really kind of kicked off in 2016. And the reason is because we were on a path that, uh, could have potentially led to losing massive amounts of our public land. And I'll, I'll it'll be i'll tell it in a real short way there's a lot more facets to it and you know like <laughs> uh, like different avenues that we could go down but basically what the federal government was doing at the time or the political party that was running for office that in 2016 the they were trying to market the issue as a states rights issue so they were mm-hmm. trying to they were trying to put this really pretty bow on it saying we want to transfer all of these federally managed public lands to the states because the states have better control and can act faster and and have a better idea of what's going on on their lands in the state than what the federal government can do. Now, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. I I appreciate states' rights and I would much rather we have more control at the state level than the federal level because in almost all aspects, it's better for the people who live in the state if the state can make more decisions, right? I'm all about small government, less taxes, Like, you know, I'm I'm very fiscally conservative. (laughs) But when it comes to land management, the states, long story short, the states typically cannot afford to manage massive amounts of public land, especially when it comes to things like wildfire, natural disaster, um, anything that draws tons of money into, like, needing to take care of that land. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is if you transfer land to the state, and we did it, uh, during the Homestead Act, we did it during like there's a lot of times where the federal government transferred land to the states and almost all of that has become privatized. So mm-hmm. basically what it was, it was a fast track to privatization. Um and, and I'd, you know, obviously I'd make a living on spending time on public land. I you know right. have done tons of hunts on public land. I've done photography and video and you know I've done all these things like and used like our public land system as this launch pad for massive amounts of recreation as well as millions of people in the country and so it, when it was coming down the pipe that we might lose a bunch of this land i was like well obviously that doesn't sit right with me like what can we do about it um and the the answer to that was make lots of noise you know collectively as sportsmen and women whether you hunt fish bike hike kayak i mean if you if you are do anything in outdoor outdoor recreation you had something to lose and so the you know it kind of s- turned into this project like I had I had hit a lot of the goals that I had in photography which you know cover photos shooting for the brands that I wanted to shoot for you know traveling doing all these different things um and so I was like okay I you know always looking for the next project what's the next mm-hmm. you know what's the next thing well this idea for a you know for a hunting school bus um didn't stem from the public land side of things but it was uh, my brother had talked about using a school bus for his shop as like a, you know, could have been a marketing tool, uh, or maybe turn one into like a mobile archery shop that they could have like traveled that, you know, his shop was in Fort Collins. So could have gone up to like Laramie one night a week and yeah. worked on people's bows. And it kind of like bounced around these different ideas of what you could do with it. And the last thing was like, oh yeah, we'll just use it on like a turkey tour, you know, take all the seats out, throw some yeah. bunk beds in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's got pretty good yeah. clearance, plenty of room to sleep. And, uh. <laughs> So this idea of buying a bus and converting it into a hunting shack, like kind of just stuck in the back of my brain. And every time I'd see a yellow school bus, like, it's like, (laughs) like, Oh, that, you know, that could be cool. You know, that could be cool. (laughs) And, uh, so fall of 2016, um, started the the search for a bus. And, um, I was still in this moment, I was still trying to figure out, okay, what's the story? What's the, like, what do you use a bus for that will actually gain attention, that will actually, like, get people engaged in what you're doing with it? And I was actually on a long drive and uh, do a lot of good thinking on long drives between hunts. Oh, yeah. And uh, started thinking about the public land issue and um, everything BHA was doing and trying to raise awareness about all this stuff. And different, you know, Randy Newberg was talking about it a lot. And just all these different people were really starting to make a lot of noise about about these issues. I was like well what if you use it as a giant billboard to raise awareness about public land issues and get people fired up about actually doing something and so I I called Josh my older brother and I was like hey what about this like what like do you think you know this would actually get people engaged and both of us kind of came to the conclusion like yeah like that's that is the avenue that you go down in the bus to like get people involved in the story mm-hmm. and so uh, he Um, we were both looking and I found a, you know, he found one on Craigslist out in Colorado and, um, it fit the bill for everything that I needed. Um, I had actually thought I had bought one in Iowa. Um, I was going to trade like a a gun and 1500 bucks for it or something, you know, like (laughs) I was trying to barter with people like, (laughs) and, uh, and he found this one and, uh, it was 5,500 bucks and I talked him down to 3,500 and on new year's Eve for
0: an entire school bus. Oh
1: man. Yeah. And uh 20,000 miles before I bought it the school district had uh rebuilt the motor and transmission on their dime. Really? Yeah, so I I got, <laughs> you know, when I bought it, it was like 180,000 miles on the on the chassis. But yeah, yeah, completely rebuilt motor and tranny, uh Cat 3116 motor with an Allison transmission, and so I had a Jeez. you know, pretty solid rig for 3500 bucks. Right. And uh this was also at a time before the schooly uh sprinter van whatever explosion yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and and so you know I think it, well two things would have happened had I bought the bus like 4 years later I probably would have been known worldwide <laughs> I was like oh I was just like like right a little bit too early for like this craze of everybody right. buying them and building them out but it was like the perfect timing cuz diesel wasn't that expensive buses weren't that yeah. expensive uh lumber wasn't that expensive like had i bought this right before the pandemic i would have never came oh, out alive <laughs> right <laughs> um no so yeah bought the bus new year's eve 2016 and kind of started down this journey of converting the bus and um you know like really like i kept like kind of teasing like what i was going to do with the bus and then it wasn't until um like right towards the end of that summer of 2017 when I was doing the build that I kind of like leaked uh, and had like a, my buddy film a couple videos about like what the project was about. And mm-hmm. and then from there, like, um, you know, got on a bunch of websites and had to deal with outdoor life to create some content for them or whatever. And then that's really when it started to gain traction for lack of better terms. And, and uh, basically lived out of the school bus for two and a half years talking about public lands and hunting and fishing on public land. And just uh lived one giant adventure after another for (laughs) for almost three years
0: Man, that's all i remember yeah i remember the first time i saw that and i don't know if it was either on the hunting public or maybe it was like the next video after watching a hunting public Mm -hmm. thing and i was like what in the hell is that i was like that's so (laughs) awesome because you had like the tent coming off of it and everything and yeah so that's cool though because i didn't know that i didn't know that that was like the backstory to that thing. I kind of thought it was just you for some reason decided to buy a bus and make it into a hunting rig.
1: Well, that was, that Uh, was always like the dream. Right. But like I, in my mind, I could not figure out like, okay, it's just some dude hunting out of a school bus. You know, it's cool. (laughs) It's cool, but it's a flash. It's a, you know, it's, 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 it's a very, and, and the goal of, you know, being somebody who creates content, shooting photos, whatever it is, you're always looking for, what is going to be the story that you can actually get other people involved with like it's right. it's uh it's more fun when you have a community built around it and and that's really what it became it was like this kind of following people were just like fired up about the bus and like wanted <laughs> yeah. you know like wanted to learn more wanted to do more wanted to get involved like you know wanted to do at events and you know it was like how do we you know how do we do this like how can i help how can i raise money how can i you know how do i get involved it was um so i have no idea how many you know, how many people have written or called their senators and House of Representatives members, um, or joined a conservation group or or whatever it may be because of this project, but man, pretty proud of um kind of where it all went.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was a great idea, like I said. It's it's definitely it definitely lends itself to I mean it catches your attention and then it gives you the platform to kind of like, Okay, now, you know, here you know, here's what we're here for. Right. Um, so I wanted to, I figure there's no better person to explain this than you for a newer hunter. So this shows generally, I, it's for newer hunters. I'm a newer adult onset hunter myself. Um, could you briefly kind of talk about the Pittman Robertson act? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, that, that terminology gets thrown around a lot. Um, especially when we're talking conservation, but I don't, I, I know that like a lot of people, may not actually understand what it was or what it is yeah, um, for sure. and then what implications it has um in our lives that we don't even might not even realize that it does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And actually one thing I wanted to touch on for, for people just getting into it is if you want to get involved in conservation, the biggest thing you can do to start is it's free is just educate yourself a little bit. Uh, there's lots of good videos. <clears throat> and you'll be like, oh, where do I even start? So I did a I did a four-part series for Vortex um, last year that I actually reshared uh, through the course of March this spring. So if anybody goes back in my reels um, or on the Public Land Tease page um, back in our reels, I did one about the Duck Stamp, one about Pittman-Robertson Act, one about the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and then one I just talked about the seven tenets of the North American model of conservation. So if you mm-hmm. if, if people go back and just learn about those things you'll get a better understanding of kind of how conservation funding works but more specifically the Pittman robertson act um uh, you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong i don't remember the exact year that it was passed but basically it's it was 37 wasn't it yeah it seems right because it was right in there Somewhere around, around there. the time of the duck stamp because duck stamp was in 34 Pittman robertson was in 37 um so basically what happened is it took an existing tax and it Reframed it, reused it for conservation. So the way it works is, um, they impose a tax on gu- the sale of guns and ammo, and it was later amended to add handguns, archery equipment, um, you know, different things within that category. And then I'll get to it, but they also added a, a bill on the fishing side. But the Pittman Robertson Act specifically is a 11% tax on guns, ammo, and archery equipment, and a 10% tax on handguns. And what that does is it goes into a pot, and then states are able to basically um, fund a project, and then they can get reimbursed through Pittman Robertson dollars for uh, the, the like conservation easements. So whether that be, you know, putting in a dock, or early on it was like docks and access to rivers, but all that comes out of the Dingle Johnson Act now. Um, mm-hmm. But it is it, a lot of the money goes towards um, hunter education, which is a big thing. It goes towards shooting ranges. So anybody out there that spends, you know, spends a lot of money on guns and ammo, but then goes to the range and does a lot of shooting, a lot of those shooting ranges were paid for or are paid for and kept up by Pittman Robertson dollars. Um, you know, it's used for things like on a on a much larger scale. Um, you know, whether it be working on wetland habitat or forestry type stuff or things that the state needs to do to maintain wildlife populations and habitat across the state. And without those dollars, the states wouldn't be able to do, like, really not nearly as much as they are able to because of these, like, matched grants, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the money is is distributed based on, I think it's land mass as well as population of hunters uh, or people that are actually going to, you know, use it. Right. Um, and then I forget the percentage of like up of the project that they can get reimbursed, but there's a, there's a certain percentage of the money that they can, the States can get back and then they can, you know, invest that into another project and then apply for Pittman Robertson dollars the next year. Um, So it's a pretty, pretty amazing system that we have, have had in place for, I guess, 89 years or whatever now. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was one thing I've, I remember I've talked to a few people about that and I'm not going to pretend like I know it to a T, but it's like, you talk about conservation and they're like, yeah, I just don't know what to do. And it's like, well, if it makes you feel any better, you don't realize it, but you've already, like you bought a bow, mm-hmm. you, you buy ammo, you've bought guns. Like you're already doing something without even realizing it. Um, what would you say would be like the next practical step for somebody? Um, Cause obviously it, it goes towards conservation when, when we do uh, what we had just talked about, but, if you want to actively get involved, what would be your next, like, this is the the next step, the next easy thing you can do to make a difference. Cause not everybody's going to always have time to, you know, make it a career or right. anything like that. Um, and a lot of us too, you know, we're just, we're normal people. We don't have thousands of dollars sitting around that I can just be like, you know what? I really like turkey hunting. So here's 50 grand for this place right. and here's 50 <laughs> grand for that for the normal average guy that just wants to feel like, you know, they, they want to take a little bit of ownership. You know, I, I hunt a lot of public ground, uh, public ground. Um, and yeah, so like what, what's some the next step for me to feel like I'm actually involved, like I'm actively being, uh, pursuing conservation.
1: Yeah. So I would, I would say there's two things. Um, so the first being join a conservation organization, um, if you have an animal species whatever you're passionate about uh, i guarantee there's an organization that spends time mm. focusing on that and i think what a lot of people forget is like just because you join pheasants forever doesn't mean you're not also helping ducks deer turkeys you know all of that habitat work done by each and every organization is benefiting everything so right. you know collectively we're just we're just we're all throwing money at the same thing it's right. just like, oh, well, I'm really passionate about elk, so I'm going to give my money to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Yeah. What that does is, A, you know, say it's 35 bucks for a year membership. Uh, you get to learn a lot about the organization. Typically, there's discounts and stuff involved with other companies that they partner with. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of times you get literature, so whether it's a magazine, you know, if it's RMEF, you get Bugle Magazine. Um, if it's uh, Pheasants Forever, you get, you know, On the Wing. Like, there's, there's just lots of... Uh, There's lots of media material that you get and you get to learn about projects that are going on. So there's volunteer opportunities. There's banquets where you get to know people that are like-minded. And you can go hang out with those and talk about conservation, different things you can do. You can add money into a raffle. And there's a million ways, like once you join the organization, to be involved. So do that. Pick one. Go join it. Figure it out from there. And then on top of that, I would say if you don't want to join an organization... Pay attention to you know pages like ours, public tees, or my page. If there's issues that come up, follow all of the conservation organizations because a lot of time they will have uh, different issues that they are either trying to lobby on behalf of or against. Um, and pay attention to those because a lot of times there's call-outs for reaching out to your representatives. Um, mm-hmm. One really good page to follow is Howell org because a lot mm-hmm. of times they'll have you know there will be some somebody's brought an anti-hunting bill or somebody's trying to change something or we need support for this and they make it really easy they'll do a single link like uh oregon bear hunting you know and they'll let you like you can click on that it already has a pre-written message you can sign your name send it and that goes to all however many representatives in that state and so just staying involved in contacting your representatives is huge because for every one phone call that a representative gets, they know that there's like a thousand more people out there that are thinking the same thing that haven't picked up yeah. the phone or haven't wrote a letter or, you know, haven't gotten involved in that way. So it can be a, it can be a very powerful tool. Um, and there's a lot of us out there that, you know, if we all start doing it, like they have to pay yeah. attention because we can pretty easily swing votes.
0: Yeah, and I think another thing that I've noticed with with uh, contacting representatives too, I think a lot of people. It's like okay the like you said Oregon bear hunting it's like well, I live in Iowa mm-hmm. so it's like well, I guess I'm not I don't need to do it and it's like, yes, you should you know and a lot of those things that I've done it's not like they ask for your address right you're just you're sending a, a letter that you're concerned about something and so that's one topic or one thing I wanted to kind of bring up with that is don't think that just because this particular issue is happening in Oregon or Colorado or wherever it may be don't think you can't click that link and still send a letter right like you know it they're they're going it, to it's better for them to get 5000 letters and you know who cares where you're from yeah they don't really know that they just know there's 5000 concerned voices out there and if you know anything about a politician they want to keep their job so you know, (laughs) whether they really care or not.
1: Yeah, and even if you're a non-resident, anybody who understands how hunting dollars work in the state, if they're a representative, understand how important non-residents are. Because a lot of times your license cost is 10, 15, 20 times as high as a resident tag. And so they know that, okay, if you're planning an out-of-state hunt, you're coming in to spend $500 on a tag. You're spending $1,000 on lodging. You're spending... You know 500 to thousand dollars on food if it's a group of people you know it's yep. it's this economy booster that they want to keep rolling um and i think that's important for people to understand that like you said even if you're not from that state the more voices we can have in favor of good bills and against bad bills um mm-hmm. the the better we'll up, off will be
0: yeah absolutely so where did Public Land Tees come from? Yeah. How did, that, how, did how does that fit into the story?
1: So that fits in right in with the bus. Um, so the the same summer that I was working on the bus, uh, Josh, my older brother, and I started working on the concept for Public Land Tees. Uh, and it was, uh, one, it's a way to, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, I do the bus project. How do I, you know, I can raise awareness. But, like, if you actually want to do some good, we need to put some dollars towards these organizations that are, spending all the time in Washington. They're calling senators on a daily basis. They're, you know, working with other groups they are, you know, and matching grants, dollars and all these different Mm -hmm. things. And so we're like, we want to figure out a way to give lots of money back to the organizations that are working on it all the time. And so basically like the day that I took off to drive on my first trip in the bus, we launched the website, um, and kicked it out there. And since then five bucks from everything we've ever sold, we donate back to different um, we typically try to earmark it for specific projects. So whether mm-hmm. it's an access project and we do try to do a lot of access stuff because that's really the name of the game for what our company was founded on was not only keeping, but improving access for sportsmen. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the reason we donated $5,000 to that Wyoming corner crossing case, uh, for, to yeah. help with legal fees, because that precedent of being able to cross from public to public. And not have it be a criminal trespassing is a huge precedent set. Now, now that is obviously there's a lot of, you know, different things we need to talk about on that case at some point. But but like it's yeah. it's a good start in the right direction. And there's a lot more that needs to happen. But it, we've constantly tried to find things like that that are going to move the needle. Um, you know, we donated five grand to RMEF a few years back for a Falls Creek project, and obviously our donation wasn't the big donation, but it helped open up uh, a chunk of private which connected public to public and it opened up basically easier access to 26,000 acres of public land. So we just kind of always you know try to search for stuff like that um, so we can kind of further lowering that barrier to entry for new hunters and have more places to hunt.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Plus, I mean, your guys' your, your guys's t-shirts and hoodies and everything else, they're awesome anyway. Well, thank you. Like, so, <laughs> I mean, it's not like you got to buy an ugly t-shirt to support the thing. You get a cool t-shirt. Yeah. Some of my, some of my favorite t-shirts I own are from you guys. Um, just cause it's, like I said, it's they're you feel good because you know that some of that money's going to conservation. It's a cool design. It's, it fits right in with our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's really awesome. Finally, before I let you go, was the van, does that have anything to do with the story or you guys just wanted a kick-ass van no, because yeah. that thing no, is... The,
1: yeah, the van, the van was just a, like, a, call, call it an extension. Um, and so, the, you know, the bus was great, lived out of it for a long time. Uh, it is a total pain um, to... I think I probably talked more people out of buying a bus than into buying a bus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it, it was for the purpose that I was using it for, it was, it was perfect, you know, it was it was the vehicle. It's a 36-foot yeah. billboard to talk about public land. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, actually getting around and getting into the mountains or getting into the woods yeah. further or actually, get <laughs> you know, like driving the speed limit, having air conditioning, you know, like right. all of those things, uh, the van is, is was where it was at. So that one was cool because Josh and I got to do the build together um, and, you know, obviously got to work with a bunch of cool companies, uh, Quigley 4x4 helped us out with the four wheel drive system. So it's a, you know, lifted full four wheel drive and then full built out interior. Um, and it was, you know, it was a smaller vehicle, same mission kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah.
0: So what do you, what do you kind of got going on, uh, in the future? Are you, do you pretty much like, is your main thing videography or like do you have any cool projects coming up you can talk about or
1: uh there's always cool projects in the hopper you know um and trying to figure out like which next one to tackle uh at the moment just kind of getting ready for um the fall like you know kind of figuring out hunts and figuring out what content needs to be created around around what hunt to you know kind of further the mission um but yeah it's uh, a big season of hunts and just spending time on on public land and talking to find people like you about the, you know, what we're trying to do and, you know, the money we're trying to raise and just, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think over the next year, I think we'll have some pretty cool things happen and nothing that's set in stone right now, but just lots of big ideas and, you know, swinging for the fence as always.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think you guys, you and your brother, you, you guys have done a great job with what you're doing and you've guys, you've done a ton of great work. Um, like I said, your content's just great to look at your photography and videography is great to look at, but you guys have really made a lot of impact in, on the conservation side and, you know, inspiring people to get involved that may have otherwise not, or they may just not have known how, um, I think you, it's very helpful, especially for a newer guy when you were doing like the stamp it forward thing. Like that's a very easy, practical thing that you can get involved with. Um, and it doesn't take any, like, I don't have to sit on my end and read a bunch of legislation. I don't have to do this or that. It's very simple Yep. by the stamp, right? This is what it's for. Um, and I think that's really great that, that guys like you, uh, are focusing on that. Um, and kind of just making it, like I said, more practical, easier for all of us to get involved on something that depending on what level you look at it can get pretty complex. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said, for for the average guy who you don't, there's not always that that opportunity where you feel like you can make an impact because, like I said, I don't, I can't donate $5,000 to RMEF, but you can buy this stamp, you can buy a t-shirt, you can do things that are super simple, and when enough of us do that, make a huge impact overall. Yeah, for sure. So, thanks for doing that because anyone who steps foot on public land for whatever reason you use it, um, we do all need to be involved because otherwise it won't be there, you know? So, yep. well, for anybody who may not be following you yet, um, which probably not a ton of them, but for those three, three to six people who may not have <laughs> your, da- where can they find you guys online? Public Land Tease, you, your brother?
1: Yeah, so uh, website is com. Uh, so just like, you know, public land, And then, uh, if you want to follow us on social, uh, public Tees, both on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And then, uh, my personal is at Sam sold and then Josh's is at Josh sold. So, um, yeah. And then we have a YouTube channel called soul brothers, um, that will, you know, be throwing more stuff on too, as the, as the year goes, I got a couple pretty fun deer hunts to put up there before the season starts. And, um, a bunch deal. of stuff like that of season prep and, you know, um, there's always a million things that we should be filming and putting up there, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm always so jealous of guys, like, when you're like, yeah, I got a couple deer hunts I got to put up, and I'm like, you have leftover deer hunts? <laughs> like, <laughs> leftover footage? Well, <laughs> gosh.
1: well, both of them happened pretty late last year, and I didn't get around to editing them until now, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm usually, I, I'm terrible with it. I'm the guy that, like, when I finally do, film or whatever, get some content together. I have like no impulse control and I'm like, share it, share it, share it. And I'm like, shoot, I just, (laughs) I just shared like a month and a half worth of content in three days Mm -hmm. and now I'm scraping by. Yep.
1: It's very easy to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Hey man, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on here. Um, I appreciate you taking all my terrible photography questions and then enlightening us on, uh, conservation, how we can all get involved. Um, so thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And if anybody, if anybody listening has more questions, whether it be related to, uh, a schooly build of your own or a photography question or conservation based, um, whatever it is, I am, I'm pretty good about responding to all of my messages on social media, or at least I try to. Um, so mm-hmm. don't hesitate to reach out and I'll do my best I can to answer the question.
0: All right, guys, and make sure you were following along with Sam, his brother Josh, and Public Land Tees because they're putting out content in really easy, practical ways that we can all get involved in conservation. Um, they're putting stuff out all the time for that. So follow along as well as follow us at Antler Feather Co. at Instagram. Um, same thing, YouTube as well as Facebook. And if you found value in the show, if you enjoyed what you learned and what you heard, I'm going to ask you, please share the show. Share it with your friends, your grandma, your girlfriend. I don't care who you share it with, but when you share the show, it allows me to keep getting great guests on the show like we had tonight. And When we have great guests with great knowledge, ultimately, that is going to make you more deadly in the woods. So For Vince and Sam, this is the Antler and Feather Co. podcast. You are listening to the Antler and Feather Co. podcast.